With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to episode 176 of the Not Your Mom's Gamer podcast, a podcast where we talk about games and gaming from a feminist perspective. My name is Samantha Blackman, and I'm an associate professor here at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, where I talk about, read about, write about, dream about, amongst other things, video games, video games, video games. I see you mouthing it in my head, Alicia. I know you are. Um, so, <laughs> dang, I know, I know you well. Uh, we're joined tonight uh, by two guests, um, and we're really excited to have on our show tonight um, Melissa Boone and Jerome Hagen. Um, first off, hi y'all. Hello. <laughs> Hello. So uh, Melissa and Jerome are both um, user researchers on Team Xbox, um, and their research focuses on Minecraft online safety, um, and gaming for everyone, which is super exciting for a number of different reasons. Um, so um, we want to say, first off, uh, Melissa, in addition to the work that she does um, with the research group, is also um, the current co-lead for the Black Set Xbox group. Yes, Melissa? Yep, that's correct. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you more about that. And Jerome uh, was the original founder of the LGBTQIA group. <laughs> uh, and um, I'm excited to talk to you about that. So, hey, hey, we got lots to talk about, y'all. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Did, did I forget anything? Stuff you want to add? Um, like, what's your sign? What's your favorite color? You know, whatever Don't get you personal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> All right. Great. And we are also joined, last but definitely not least, by Alicia Carabinus. Hello, Alicia. Uh, hello. Um, I'm being abused. Please send help. <laughs> and also cookies. What kind of cookies, though? Oh, chocolate cookies, for sure. Oh, no. Oatmeal raisin. Oatmeal mm. raisin. Oatmeal raisin is like... Like a trick, right? You give somebody a cookie and they think it's going to be chocolate chip and they bite into that shit and it's raisins. No. But oatmeal raisin's delicious. Oh, yeah. see? Melissa. Yeah. We can be friends. If it's got a good, like, brown sugar back, if it's a dry, crumbly oatmeal raisin, then not so much. So, Melissa, you and I can eat all the cookies that everybody else wants to poo-poo like uh, because I'm down for some oatmeal raisin cookies, but I got to pick the raisins out because I don't like raisins. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> okay, so I like the flavor of raisins and oatmeal raisin cookies, but mm, I don't want no. the actual raisins. Don't talk. Shh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a great start this this weekend. Not your mama's gamer. <laughs> All right, so. Um, we're not going to talk about cookies anymore. Uh, but what we are going to talk about, uh, we're going to start with our usual, what you're playing, what you're reading, what you're drinking. And because like we like to pretend we have manners around here. We are going to start um, with our guest tonight and say, um, Melissa, what are you playing? So I'm playing Xenoblade Chronicles 2 right now. Ooh, battle boobs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. That is a great alternate name for the game. Battle boobs. It's very true. So, how you liking it? I like it a lot, actually. I was surprised um, because normally I don't have the patience to get all the way through JRPGs, and I'm like 90 hours into the game, and I'm actually like still willing to play it. So, yeah, I like it. There's just a lot going on with the battle systems. If you've played any of it at all, there's it's a very complex battle system. But, But I'm liking it. Like the story, it's nice, light, fluffy play. I do feel sometimes like playing a JRPG is like selecting a life partner. You have to really think about it, you know? It's a commitment. It is. <laughs> You're going to be given a good couple of months of your life to that game. <laughs> like, this is yeah. where I live now. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So that's where I live. Do to play Chronicles 2. All right. Jerome, what about you? What are you playing? So I cycle through a lot of games. So <laughs> I think I was just looking at even the last week or so. There's a bunch, but I'll go through quickly. Uh, so one of them is uh, Long Story, which is an episodic uh, visual novel set in a Canadian middle school, I think. Ooh. It's it's super cute. Um, and it's something that was uh, only on mobile platforms, but it came to PC. So I blend plan some of that it features a um the school mascot is named turkey hawk who never takes the mascot uniform off and never talks <laughs> but you can dance with turkey hawk at the prom so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so also playing uh some yoku's island express which is a game where you are a dung beetle who's also a postmaster who gets around the world through pinball flippers. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's really fun. I think one of the things that's nice about it is like a pinball machine, you don't necessarily have to know exactly what you're doing. If you just hit flippers enough, you'll eventually get somewhere. I like it. <laughs> that is also my approach to pinball. So. <laughs> I've been playing... I've been playing some Warhammer Vermintide 2, where my contribution has been dying the most and requiring my friends to resurrect me the most. <laughs> oh, like Sam when we used to play Destiny. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, I after nearly 20 years, I finally, finally finished Grim Fandango. Uh, oh. Which was... Wonderful and wonderfully inventive, and I am so so glad I had a hint guide next to me the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that yes. is one of my favorite games. That is one of my two favorite games ever. 
So I'm 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 happy you finished it. What about you, Alicia? What you playing, darling? Well, it's kind of funny. I was thinking like, gosh, I really haven't played anything lately. But of course, I have. I've been playing Gloomhaven still. That's a continual. Um, I've been playing D and D, and then tonight, in twenty minutes, actually, my wild card game for the Mafia World Championships starts. Uh, so to see if I can advance into the finals, uh, mm-hmm. not die. And I've been playing a little Paladins, and I just downloaded. This game came out in like 2016, so it's not new. It's new to me. I just downloaded the uh, the Shadows that Run Alongside Our Car, which was like an an indie visual novel zombie apocalypse game. So that's what I'm going to be playing this week while I uh, play Mafia, which is meaning while I cry on breaks from playing Mafia because it's super stressful. Well, at least you know you are still in the running for the shadiest <laughs> person on the face of the planet. All right. Um, that's what I call the mafia championships. I'm like, okay. they're trying to find the shadiest person on the front on the face of the planet. And that would be But you. only the shadiest person in text, right? So only in like one particular kind of shady. So you say. <laughs> what so about you? you say. You okay, playing? what am I playing? Oh, so um I'm like Jerome. I play a lot of different stuff during the week. It depends on what I'm, what I'm in the mood to play. Um, so I've been playing um, Sleep Tight, which um, is a twin stick shooter slash um, tower defense game. Um, it's an indie game. Right now it's only available on the Switch and on PC. Um, and I got a copy uh to, for streaming purposes, and I don't know because I'm not a big top-down shooter fan. So, but I love tower defense games, um, and I've really missed having a tower defense game that, like, I was totally and completely into. The last one that I like played uh, maniacally almost was Dungeon Defenders, mm. um, and I haven't had another one like Dungeon Defenders. Um, but this one is really cute. It's about uh, Kid, uh, kids, because you play, you can play different heroes who are defending themselves against aliens at night after after bedtime. <laughs> so you have to build like pillow forts and set up turrets, um, and then use your own little dart gun to uh, to rid yourself of the aliens. Super cute, and I'm totally like hooked on that game right now. I was playing on PC, but I'm definitely gonna buy a copy for the Switch so I can carry it around with me. The only thing that I miss is it doesn't have multiplayer. And I like playing those kinds of games with other people so we can scream at each other um, and strategize. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, Tanzia, which is uh, an action RP, an action RPG. Um, it's super cute, um, it's, but I, I'm, I'm porn uh, because you play... Uh, you, you name your own character, but you play uh, a character uh, who lives on an who lives on an island uh, and has to protect his uh, his people from the, the skeleton king. And the only thing about it is that it's 
pretty freaking appropriative. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they have, yeah, right. And it's attempt to build this kind of this pollen, this kind of Polynesian, uh, this kind of Polynesian country, island or island state, it gets pretty appropriative. And I'm like, oh, I want to like this game so bad. It's 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 super cute and it's fun to play, but I cannot look past the fact that this is just killing me. Um so yeah, I'm kind of torn. Um but so I've played it once and then and then they just kind of throw in some weird stuff too, right? Because they they're like I said, they're trying to build this pollination flair, but then at the same time they keep talking about voodoo and I'm like Mm-mm. wrong region. Um <clears throat> excuse me, at least get it right. Um uh, so uh that uh what else? I da- I downloaded Paladins because it came to the switch. Um and it just I, I, it's cute, and I like the art style, but it feels like an Overwatch wannabe, so I'm not terribly impressed. Oh, yeah, it is, but the, in some ways, there uh, there's a loading time issues and some other problems and a lot of, like, mad boobage. Um, but there's some things that, like, almost better than Overwatch. It feels a little more focused. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that should just be Overwatch fatigue too. So uh, that could be. Um, okay, so I'm gonna go quickly through these last these last couple of things. Um, I'm, I was still playing around with the preview of Overcooked Two because I love Overcooked, um, and I'm super excited that it's gonna have multiplayer this time around. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, ooh, I want to play that with everybody so I can just scream at people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I roll. That's, that's what we're for. Yes, that's what those games are for. I can't play with my kid because I can't scream at her. So I need to play with people on the internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can scream at them and not feel guilty. And No Man's Sky. Um, I've been playing some No Man's Sky. Okay, I've been playing a lot of No Man's Sky. Um because I played it when it first came out on the PS4 and I'm playing it again uh, on Xbox this time because everybody that I know who's playing it is actually playing it on Xbox and I want to play multiplayer with people. So I'm playing it on Xbox this time around and y'all know me, anything that gives me the ability to like mine for stuff um, and build stuff, I'm totes down for. So I'm playing No Man's Sky because it feels like Minecraft in space. <laughs> Minecraft in space. I just want to sing everything today. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. No, you're not. Okay. All right. So that's um that's well the, that's the biggest part of what I'm playing. Let me just say that. Um. So uh, and next important question: reading. Who's reading something good? What about you, Melissa? So I just finished um, this book called Behold the Dreamers. It's by a, um, I think she's Cameroonian-American author named Mbolo Mabue. Um, And it is a story about a family who immigrates to the United States from Cameroon and sort of the struggles that they go through as immigrants in New York City. Uh, in their first year or so when they're living here. It's really, really good. I'm definitely trying to up my reading by um, authors of color, especially women authors of color. And so like I get really excited when I see uh, books written by women authors of color. And so that was really, really good. I I enjoyed that one. 
the one I'm about to start is called Circe. Um, it's by Madeline Mill, and it's a book. It's like basically a novelization of Circe, the goddess of magic's life, oh. <laughs> which is a pretty interesting topic area. I love mythology. So I'm pretty excited to get started with that one, too. That sounds good. Okay, I'm, I'm writing this down. See, Alicia and I have this thing. Is this where we get all the books that we want to read? Basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. All right. Jerome, what about you? What you reading? So, like games, I cycle through several <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sensing Some... a theme in your life. Yes, and some of them I get through quickly, and some of them I'm still reading six months later, but that's okay. <laughs> so uh, one of the things I'm uh, actually I just finished recently is um, Rocksteady, uh, which is by a local Seattle area cartoonist, Ellen Forney, and uh, she released a uh, kind of a graphic memoir uh, several years ago called Marbles about kind of discovering. She uh, had bipolar and she um, and kind of her process of dealing with it. And Rocksteady is her like practical guide to mental health. And it's pretty great. Um, It's kind of just a whole bunch of different things in different categories that have helped her kind of be more balanced. But I think it's something that applies kind of we all we all have mental health and it goes up and down. And I think there's a lot of useful stuff in there. And the drawings are super cute as always. Uh, And then I am also, uh, so yeah, it's one I finished. I am currently reading um, Paula by Isabella Allende. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it is is a memoir written uh, when her daughter was in a coma and she decided to write letters to her daughter telling her about her family history. And it's pretty amazing. It's um, it's really it's really really rich. It's one that I'm moving through kind of s- slowly because every chapter is full of so much. And I may or may not. One of the reasons why I started reading it is because Isabella Allende uh, did a cameo on the TV show Jane the Virgin, and <laughs> when um, the character Jane met her, she told her that Paula was her favorite book, and so, <laughs> so that may be one of the reasons why we do it. She's right. It's awesome. Love it. <laughs> uh, so I'm also finally reading uh, The History of White People by Nell Irvin Painter, uh, the historian. And it's kind of wonderful. It's, um, <laughs> it's I mean, she is, she's a historian and she takes very much a historical approach. And most of the book, she's just like, I'm going to let these people speak their own words and it'll be pretty mm-hmm. obvious <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> And then the last thing, I am reading a short story collection by uh, science fiction short story collection by Kat Rambo, and it's called Near and Far, and it's a story set in the near future and the far future, and it's uh, one of those books that's one that you flip over, so the near is on one side, and then when you're done with that, you can flip over to the uh, other side, which is the far, which I, which I love. is a great touch. Cool. Oh, I'm going to the bookstore tomorrow. This is super dangerous. All right. Um, <laughs> super dangerous. All right. Uh, Alicia, what about you, darling? What you reading? 
Um, my lovely elder child just got back from vacationing and brought me the, it's not the latest, um, trade paperback, but it's the one that I'm on of Saga. Um, yeah, it's such a a nice, thoughtful gift. I did tell him not to open it. (laughs) Like, is this a little too old for you? Mm -hmm. Um, but thank you for the gift. Um, so I just started that and I'm going to finish it in like 30 seconds if I'm not careful. So I'm trying to like slowly read each page because then I'm going to immediately want to go get the next one. And I can't right now because it's back to school season and everything is expensive. Mm-hmm. Fun. But I love Saga. And he's like, I saw they had a standee of Lion Cat. And I thought that was something you would like. I was like, yes, I love Lion Cat. Lion Cat is the best character. (laughs) Yes. Lion Cat is my Twitter icon because Lion Cat is that cool. So anyway, that's that's what I'm reading right now. Slowly. Okay. Um, So I guess it's me. Uh, What am I reading? Um a bunch of stuff to get ready for to go back to school. Um, so such stuff on um, toxic masculinity and toxic masculinity and oppressive algorithms. I'm reading that kind of stuff to mm-hmm. get ready for, to get ready to teach class uh, in a couple of weeks. I need another month. I need mm-hmm. another month. Uh, let's see. But um, other stuff that I'm reading, um, I am, Slowly reading uh, Turtles All the Way Down. Um, still, <laughs> still. And um, because I've also started to read uh, The Hate You Give. Um, yeah. So good. <laughs> I'm like, no, I just want to read this. Uh, I started to read The Hate You Give. I'm, it, I'm yeah, super excited for that one, too, because it's, it's also going to become a movie. So mm-hmm. the movies, you know, because because we've been seeing the trailers for the movies, for the movie. And now I'm like, I, I just want this now. I want this now. I need this. I hold my breath when I see the trailer because I'm like, oh, I hope this is as good as the book. I know. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. So far, the trailer looks like it's pretty faithful. So, yeah, you know, fingers crossed. Yeah. Have do you have you seen like the new um, the new the new still like poster that has oh god what's her name Amanda Sternberg yes thank you I was like it just as soon as he said it her name just like totally escaped me um have you seen her reposing the cover oh no I haven't it's the cutest thing I'm like oh she's so cute um and so yeah I really want this to be good I really want this to be good I'm like see because if if the movie's not good I'm just gonna be mad I'm gonna be mad at this still and be like see that was cheesy they should have done (laughs) See, but right now I'm like, but it's so cute. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm reading because yeah, I'm I'm trying to get back into reading um, more fiction, um, like even YA fiction, just fiction period. Um, because I tend to go through these periods, and when I say periods, I'm talking about like years of like time where basically what I do is I read like all academic stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, and, and mm-hmm. because of because of my area of research, the academic stuff that I read is never is never friendly stuff. So mm-hmm. it puts me in a bad headspace. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to get into even though I'm reading stuff like the hate you give, um, <laughs> at least it's, you know, at least it's something that's that's you know fictionalized. Mm-hmm. Um as much as 
we can say it's fictionalized. But anyway, um, so that's what I've been reading. Um, and then we got to get to the most important question of the night. Um, and that's the what you're drinking question. Um, uh, and we'll, again, start with guests. Melissa, what are you drinking tonight? So right now I am drinking the lovely Strongbow <laughs> Gold Apple Cider. <laughs> Because I had some bottles and I was like, hmm, let me drink this now. So. Okay. Strongbow is Strongbow is one is like okay, probably the only um like commercial cider that I'll actually drink because theirs are usually they're not like cloyingly sweet. Um that's or as I call them when I go places and they're like, what kind of cider do you have? And they're like, we have, and I'm like, no, no. I don't want frat boy cider. I want a real cider. <laughs> yes. yes. Just rude. <laughs> well, that's, well, just because you sit back and drink pink cider. Um, um, that was one time and it was gross. <laughs> it, is, it is. I went through the box and did find a pink cider and I was like, mm -mm, I'm putting this one back. <laughs> it was so gross. Pink cider. Ooh. All right, Jerome, what about you? So 99% of the time, my answer would just be fizzy water. But since it is a special night, I made some lime ginger fizzy water. It turned out pretty good. <laughs> so still fizzy water, but with extra ingredients. <laughs> it's fancy fizzy water, and I'm good with that. Uh, Alicia, what you drinking tonight, darling? I am drinking a Malbec. Oh, fancy. Well, it was a long day. Okay. <laughs> I needed. I'm always a jealous when wine. people are drinking red wine because I can't drink it. So I always get super jealous. I usually have to drink water alongside it or I get a headache. <laughs> Maybe I should try that. No, maybe I should just not drink it. <laughs> it's so good, though. It is. So I am drinking. I made a picture of. Uh, so this this will this sounds gross to most people until they try it. Mm -hmm. I am drinking pink tea and vodka. So pink tea is a thing in my house. Mm -hmm. It is um, a passion fruit herbal tea. Mm -hmm. Um mixed with uh, lemonade and not like, like bottled lemonade or, um, but just like lemonade, that's like lemon sugar water. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just like adding lemon and um, sugar, very little to um, a herbal tea that's got passion fruit and already has like a lot of citrus in it. So mm -hmm. it's just adding more lemon and some sugar. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, it is, then I mix it with a fruit vodka. And tonight the fruit vodka of choice is a mango pineapple fruit vodka. Ooh. So it is very tropical mm -hmm. and it sounds gross because Alicia used to poo poo it too until I, I started making pictures of it at my house in the summertime. Um, and then she learned that it is, it is like the perfect summer cocktail. Yeah. It sounds good to me. Yeah. And it's fruity enough that, like I said, it tastes very tropical and it's light. So you don't taste the alcohol until you try to stand up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> so, yo, 
Okay, that brings us to the end of what you're playing, what you're reading, what you're drinking. Um, and now we can talk, have a conversation. Yeah. Jerome is like, we've been talking for like four hours and <laughs> <laughs> you, you've heard this podcast before, right? You heard this podcast before. <laughs> I am ready. <laughs> okay, so I have to tell you guys this, this funny story. Um, quite kind of quickly, and Alicia, and I'll I'll be make it quick. I talk a lot. I'm sorry. Um, what you? No. Oh look, Alicia disconnected by mistake. Um, so uh, <laughs> we used to we used to have this thing. Um, our kids went to school together. They they had gone to school together from the time that they were probably what about four. No, they were yeah, three or four. Three or four, because they were they were um in campus daycare together. Um and then when they left there, they went to they went to school together. They went to elementary school together and until their their um charter school closed. Um so Alicia's son loved Minecraft. <clears throat> he was all about the Minecraft. And I was like, Oh, for the love of all that is holy, please don't let my child catch that. Um, (laughs) I was like, because I hate Minecraft and I never want to play it. Um, (laughs) And then, so, and this is what I was thinking the whole time. And then probably when they were about five, she came to me five or six and she was like, I want to play Minecraft. Um, Cause I had played Minecraft because, you know, I mean, I teach game studies. So I played Minecraft and I played it. I would play it in classes because I would, we would talk about it. We would like walk through it and we would play during class time, but I didn't want to play it on my like off time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she was like, I want to play Minecraft. And I was like, well, guess we got to try this out. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, we started playing Minecraft together. And lo and behold, after years of hating Minecraft, I was hooked. <laughs> and I wanted to play like Minecraft all the time. So like since then, for like the last four years, she and I have been playing Minecraft together, like on a regular, like several times a week. Um, and I find now that, like I said, with like No Man's Sky, I'm always looking for games that let me mine and build because I'm kind of just hooked in that whole kind of Minecraft mentality. I don't know what happened. I think somebody poisoned my Kool-Aid is what I think happened. <laughs> um, and I, I truly drank the Kool-Aid. And and so Minecraft is a thing. So talking to you guys like made me super excited. And I told and I told P and I was like, yeah, we're gonna talk to some folks um who who work in Minecraft research. And she was like, really? <laughs> um, she was super excited. Um so uh, I thought that was I thought, thought that was an interesting way because if, if, if people are listening, they're probably like, I remember like for years she was talking about how Minecraft was the devil. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> until I got hooked. <clears throat> so um, I wanted to start with that. But so I want to talk to you guys about the work that you do, not only the work that you do um, as user researchers, but also the work, the work that you do around um the actual user research um stuff at, at Xbox. Um but first which one of you wants to tell me what it is to be a user researcher? Yes. Um, what is, what does that entail? <laughs> Are you like stalking people trying to see what they're building in Minecraft, right? Is that what user research I'm kidding. <laughs> 
you want to go ahead, Melissa? Uh, sure. So I can start and then Jerome can fill in uh, definitely anything I forget. But so user research is pretty much what it sounds like in the name. It's doing research on the users or the players of the games that we make. Um, and part of that is just being an advocate for the user. And so basically, we want to represent the voice of the user to the game design teams that we work with so that they keep the user at the forefront of everything that they do. Um, so a lot of that includes gathering feedback from you know regular players of the game through a variety of different ways so that we can feed that feedback back to the team and tell them you know when we need to improve a design or um, make things easier or more aligned towards players' attitudes or needs or opinions. That's what user research is all about. So we work really closely with the design and development teams who make the games and actually do the coding um, in order to be that conduit between the user and the development teams and make sure that they're getting feedback directly from our players. So you guys are the ones that I need to tell that y'all need to turn those, y'all need to tone those drowned down. <laughs> honestly, they scare the shit out of me. <laughs> it's, it's the it's the it's the the noise that they make. Mm. I cannot play Minecraft with headset on because it like I'll start hearing them, and for some reason, the noise that they make is different enough. Mm-hmm. From the noise that all the other, maybe it's just because they're new mm-hmm. that all the other moms make that it like my like my heart starts beating fast and I can't breathe. I'm like, oh shit, they're gonna get me. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Think that might be intended functionality, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. I guess that's it, right? It, it's done too well. I'm like, nope, can't, can't listen to this. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how many conversations I have with people about the sounds that mobs make in Minecraft and how much anxiety it produces in people. <laughs> <laughs> the drowned they're the first ones that got me is there's something about them right it's like i look I, like i walk past water and i look in and i'm like okay i don't see anything blowing i can go past here um yeah no mm. <laughs> so the minecraft offices here uh right where you come in there's a creeper and a pig uh that uh, make make their sounds when you walk near them, and the creeper oh. still gets me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. See, creepers need to be a little louder because <laughs> they're I creepers. Died. I they, exactly. They need to be louder, though. I have died in Minecraft from creepers so many times because I'm like walking around and I'm like mining and I'm running my mouth and I'm doing this and I'm doing that, and they just walk right up behind me and blow up <laughs> every like, single hey. time, and yeah. I'm like dead again. But yes. because of that, though, look, creepers are my favorite. Oh, I even have a creeper oh. controller. <laughs> I do love that controller. P has the pig one. Um, <laughs> as as user research folks, you need to make more mob controllers. We collect them all. <laughs> just just not to drown. Just not to drown. <laughs> I want that one. <laughs> Put that um. So that that sounds uh, seriously. That sounds really interesting in terms of thinking about uh, what that kind of feedback loop looks like uh, for your users and your dev teams. Um, so can you see? I, I don't. I don't know how. Uh, I'm going to throw it out there. You can tell me what you can't tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of like research projects, for example, do you guys do? So we do a lot of different things. Um, so kind of, I mean, it's 
a lot of things that involve kind of talking to users. So it may be, uh, it may be interviews, it may be lab sessions where we bring people in. Um, a lot of things that involve kind of observation and understanding of behavior. So um, people are definitely good in general at uh, describing some experiences they're having, but some it's it's a lot more enlightening to be able to uh, to watch and see what's going on for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and and then we, um, yeah, we do uh, a lot of things around uh, kind of measurement of opinion as well. So things around uh, understanding whether things are getting better or worse for people over time or, uh, or figuring out whether uh, an issue that people have been having, whether that's reduced and whether people are having better experiences. But I think, uh, I mean, I pretty much all of us come from backgrounds in kind of different kinds of psychological research or behavioral research or brain research or kind of anything that's about behavior and human understanding. So you know, we all bring our own kind of research methods and uh, understandings that, that come from all those different fields. That's amazing. I mean, that's like, especially when you start thinking about people Right. That's that's one of the, the best ways, in my opinion. Right. Not that I'm always right, but I am. Uh, not that, uh, but that's one of the best ways to do research. Right. To come at it from a bunch of different angles to get a fuller picture. Um, and and. OK, before I jump to this, uh, Alicia, at any point, because I guess you know me, I'm going to talk a lot. You can that's just okay. say, shut up. I got a question. I will. Don't worry. OK, um, <laughs> just say shut up. I got a question. Um, but. So what are your backgrounds? Where, 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 where do you come to uh, this field from? So um, my background is uh, in a field that I would have originally characterized as completely different. Um, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, which is easily related. I went to Spelman College for undergrad. Um, and then I have a PhD in public health and social psychology. So it's a joint degree. Mm -hmm. um, from Columbia, and I did um, HIV and drug abuse research, actually, before I came into doing um, video games research. And like I said, I thought that it was completely different. I thought that when I came into this job that I was going to leave all the techniques that I used behind it, just kind of use basic psychology. Um, but a lot of the lens that I used in public health, I still use in games. Um, there's a lot of thinking about different populations, how different groups might interpret things differently. Yeah. Uh, or play and appreciate games very differently. Um, I use both qualitative and quantitative methods. So there's lots of surveys and experiments, but also lots of interviews. And like Jerome was saying, usability studies where we actually just listen to people talk to us. Um, so I take a lot of the same approaches to the work. And like I said, I was a social psychologist. So a lot about how people play together, how they interact. Yeah. Gaming is a social activity. And so I think a lot about that too when I, when I, you know, do my work and, and talk to users as well. Um, it bleeds a lot into a lot of the work that we do. So that's where I come from. And it's been incredibly helpful in the field. I don't want to step on you, Jerome, but I just have to say two things really quickly. I think that that's fascinating that you can see links between public health research and what you're doing. I think that makes perfect sense, but it's not something I would have thought of either mm -hmm. until you mentioned it. But then you start mm -hmm. thinking about all the different ways that can manifest in especially multiplayer games. Like mm -hmm. 
passing. Second, it sounds like you need a, a rhetorician around there who can also <laughs> do all those things from a different angle. I don't know. Uh, if you know anybody who's graduating in a year or two. <laughs> Hopefully. Keep it in mind. Don't keep it in mind. <laughs> All right. Awesome. I'm sorry. I just had to slide that one in. There. No, no, no. It's good. I like it. The self promotion. It's it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Alicia Alicia uses every opportunity she can to slide that. I need a job in. Uh, <laughs> I mean, someday I will be done, and I will need a job. It is true. Yeah. These are facts. Those are facts. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I'll send my CV later. Jerome, <laughs> uh, how about you? Where did you come from? So uh, my background's also in psychology and uh, with a kind of social and cognitive focus. Uh, so actually, that's. It's uh, fairly unusual in our group. I think uh, Melissa and I are two of the few people who come from more social focus. Um, but uh, my, um, so, oh, so I uh, kind of, the lab that I was working in and helping out in was uh, focused on some of the earlier uh, work on um, unconscious bias and uh, things like the, uh, implicit association test. I don't know if you've ever taken that where you kind of, it's based on reaction times and how quickly you associate concepts with different groups of people. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, my path was pretty different. I, um, so I did uh, my undergrad work, but while I was still in school, the uh, actually the team that we work in now was just being formed. And one of the grad students who had left uh, was looking for um, looking for some research assistants and people who could run research and who liked video games, and that sounded pretty good. <laughs> this, was this was definitely not a field I ever conceived of as existing, and part of it was because that was one of the very first uh, large groups that was created uh, when I started. So a lot of my work with the group was kind of more of my education over time um, after I graduated. Mm -hmm. That's funny though, because it, you know we find it's it's always interesting to to talk to other people who um, like come at games um, from a specifically like non development standpoint because it's like well. I found a job that would let me play video games and kind of do what I already did. And it sounded perfect. <laughs> I, I distinctly remember that first day, that first day of orientation in grad school when Sam came in and was like, I study video games. And I was like, what? <laughs> do what now? Is that a thing? I'm going over there. Um, and it took me like three years, but I went. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I had the same reaction when I found out that you were doing work in academia on video games. And I was like, people in academia do this? Like, I didn't know. <laughs> I thought, like, everybody else was leaving to do that. So I thought it was really cool that, like, you were able to still do that kind of work in academia. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I was because Alicia, she, because, you know, Alicia came back to grad school as an adult. Let's just <laughs> say that. 
Um, <laughs> as an adult. There's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack right there. Um, <laughs> but she came back... In, I'm telling your story, Alicia. She came yeah. back in a, in a in an MFA program. I was in creative writing, right. mm-hmm. and you uh, stole me. Go ahead. You stole, you stole me. me. I did. I, did. <laughs> okay. I, I needed you on my side. <laughs> Sorry, I'm happier here. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I don't feel guilty anymore. anymore. (laughs) But we'll come back and we'll come back. I'm sure we'll bounce back and forth and to 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 talk about whatever. But you guys are doing some other interesting work, like I said, outside of just like user research. Excuse me, in the um, you know, in the kind of bloody SJW work that you guys are doing as well, for for lack of a better phrase, right? Because we we get called the dirty SJWs all the time, right? but um, so you two both done some interesting work um, with like the LGBTQIA group and the Blacks Xbox group. So tell us about that work. Who wants to go first? Duke it out. <laughs> Jeremy, you can go ahead and then I'll go after. Sure. So, yeah, so it's something. Uh, so actually, so where it started was... Um, was in kind of outreach uh, from uh, Xbox to the development community. And that's something that had been going on for quite a while. I think uh, I'm probably going to get the numbers wrong. But so the Game Developers Conference, Microsoft's been sponsoring a women in gaming event for, I think, 16 years now and a Blacks in Gaming event for 13 years now. Um, and, uh, it was something that, um, kind of as the whole kind of gaming for everyone effort was spinning up, they're looking at kind of where can we expand the different kinds of developers we're talking to and bringing together. And, um, I think I was just involved in some of those early conversations and, um, and, uh, some of the leaders were talking about kind of engaging with, the LGBTQIA community, and I asked them who was helping them out, and they said no one. So I think I accidentally volunteered myself. (laughs) (laughs) But it was great. uh, Microsoft as a whole for decades and decades has has had a lot of uh, employee resource groups, but uh, kind of the more specific groups within within Xbox itself uh, were... um, were new over the over the past few years so kind of as as part of that uh part of the work so we call refer to kind of as our communities and as part of that work uh, some of that is uh hosting and engaging with developers including at the game developers conference so mm-hmm. uh, last year we did our first lgbtqia and gaming event and i handed off to some other leaders who did another event this year and then um and then, yeah, like I said, like expanding to different groups, we had um, our first uh, Latinx in gaming event a few years ago, our first uh, disability in gaming event this year. And then those also include uh, uh, communities within uh, the organization as well and being able to connect connect with one another and uh, bring up concerns and making making sure that we're actually making games for everyone. Nice. Yeah. And so, 
a, a lot like Jerome, I also kind of accidentally volunteered myself <laughs> um, in a good way. I um, So the Black Fit Xbox uh, community group started, uh, I think it was the begin- maybe the beginning of my second year here at Xbox, um, where my co-lead, Sierra McDonald, she actually started the group kind of at the same time that G4E was kind of ramping up. So it must have been like, must have been the beginning of my first year at Xbox. And um, I had run across her sort of by chance. I can't even remember like how we met each other. Um, But I was like, oh, you know, I didn't know how many black people there were at Xbox. She was kind of the only one I had met. I saw people in the hallways, but I was like, I don't know, are they in Xbox or in other orgs? So she wanted to create a place where, all the black folks at Xbox basically get together and meet each other and at least know where everybody sat and where everybody's offices or desks were. So that like we could go talk to each other uh, and sort of form a community from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once that started, it was originally supposed to be mostly internal facing, but as time went on, we started to do more and more external facing stuff to support the black game dev community across uh, the industry. So you know, the Blacks and Xbox group has, Xbox has been partnering with um, Blacks and Gaming from the IGDA or for a while to sponsor the um, green room that happens right around GDC. So this past year was just the 13th year that we've done it. Um, and so, you know, we started to get more involved in that. And I kind of am, I'm a person who kind of throws myself into stuff like that. So even though I wasn't on leadership or anything, I just got super involved anyway. So I was like, wherever I can help, let me volunteer. I'll help organize stuff. I had ideas for events and everything. And at a certain point, um, I was sharing an idea for an event. Me and Sarah were meeting, you know, one-on-one. And she was like, well, why don't you just be the co-lead for this? <laughs> like, I could use somebody else to help out with it. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Sure, I'll do that. So like I said, I kind of accidentally volunteered myself by getting super involved. But um, it's been a really great, um, you know, group to be involved in and effort to lead. Um, I, we've gotten to meet lots of different um, folks across the industry and uh, and across Xbox by by joining in that. Um, done lots of intersectional work with the other communities at Xbox and hosting like uh, joint events together. Learned a lot about the other um, communities here at Xbox, um, and also have gotten a lot of exposure to execs in Xbox that I don't think I would have otherwise gotten. I mean at our green room events that we have around GDC, like Phil Spencer comes to them. A lot of other high level executives at Xbox come to them and I've met them through a lot of the work that I do for blacks at Xbox. So it's been really cool to do that kind of work. That sounds, that sounds amazing. amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm going to ask, ask a question. question. Um, um, you work we both, when I say you, I'm talking to plural you, uh, with gaming for everyone. So this, gaming for everyone is a, something we've been hearing more about um, lately in the last couple of years. Um, but I don't think that most people know what gaming for everyone actually is. So who wants to take on that task? <laughs> uh. I guess I can start talk a little bit about it. Um, so gaming for everyone is Xbox's ongoing commitment towards making sure that everyone has fun uh, while they're playing and on Xbox's platform. Um, and it, we really mean everyone. We're embracing the whole community. We know that in the past, gaming online has not necessarily been a fun or safe place for everyone to play um, and that people have felt... Um, shut out of certain communities or felt like that they couldn't play. And so we have a, a really strong commitment 
for Xbox. And we want it to be across the industry as well, but especially on our own platform that people can come play, that they feel like it's a safe place, that they can find communities that they belong to, that they feel supported to play however they want to play. That's what Gaming for Everyone's about. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. I think uh, what I'd recommend if uh, people aren't aware of it or haven't seen it. So at uh, the DICE conference earlier this year in January, uh, Phil Spencer, the head of the gaming group, uh, gave a talk called uh, Building a Living and Learning Company Culture. I think that's the right name for it. And there are videos of it. There's also transcripts of it. But he really walks through in detail kind of what it really means to include people, what it really means for gaming to be for everyone, and talks about kind of some of Xbox's own missteps and and things that that he's been working to correct and how we're really trying to learn and get better over time. Mm-hmm. And uh, another great piece of that is uh, within... Phil's talk, uh, there were a few quotes directly from some research that Melissa has done. Yeah, that was really awesome to watch the keynote and then hear them and be like, wait, why does that sound familiar? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's pretty awesome. It sounds familiar because you fancy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, this is so I'm I'm seriously interested um, in. Minecraft for a number of reasons, right? And the work that you guys do for a number of reasons. Um, because like I said, I play Minecraft with my now 10-year-old. Jeez, I can't believe she's dead. Yes, we're done. But with my now 10-year-old, right? And so we she and I talk a lot about stuff like online safety. She and I talk a lot about stuff like, you know, what we can learn from Minecraft and start to think about ways that we can learn through Minecraft. We even used it in homeschooling. We did. We use Minecraft in homeschooling a lot, right? Um, especially the uh, the special builds, you know, like the the Greek mythology mm-hmm. and, and all of the, the different builds because they're really elaborate. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but. No, no, you're fine. Add on. <laughs> I was I was thinking about you and trying to pull you in, right? Um, so you, <laughs> it works. It works sometimes, right? Um, but but thinking about those things and thinking through those things, but not only not only through stuff like Minecraft, but like um, because she too is is big on on games where she can mine and build and um, and and play around with things because you know she's an artist at heart. Um, and so anything where she can create, she's she's big on. So we've been playing, like lately, we've been playing No Man's Sky together, um, which has been which has been a lot of fun. But then one of the things that we've been doing while we've been playing No Man's Sky is talking about um, issues of colonization, right? <laughs> it's like, we're exploring space, but we're going to find all these planets. We're going to discover all of these planets, right, mm-hmm. that are already inhabited by different races, right? And we're going to go in and, you know, and so we talk about, you know, uh, we talk about how this lines up with things that we've learned about colonizing forces in the U.S., right? It's like, so if we want to survive, do we go in and do we just take everything and load up everything and be like, all right, peace out. We took all your copper and we're out of here. We took, you know, all your ferrite and now we're out of here. No, we take what we need, right? We don't destroy, right? And, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, 
And and we talked about like the whole renaming process, right? So it's like, name the planet that you discovered. I'm like, no, no, you, when you, this has, this planet has a name. When we landed here, it told us what the name was. (laughs) It's like, we don't rename, we don't rename planets. We don't rename animals. We don't rename plants that already have names, right? That's not our place. We don't, you know, just stick our own stamp on things and be like, this is ours. Um, But, you know, so when you guys are working with the work that you do um, and thinking about like education, um, I said to all this, like I said, I talk a lot. So all this to say, when you start thinking about how education plays into like Minecraft, right? Because that's what you guys are working with. Um, what does that look like for you? So I'll definitely let Melissa answer. She works on Minecraft Education Edition. So. Oh, yeah. So that's one of my, you know, flagship things that I work on, um, which is the version of Minecraft that's designed to be used in schools by teachers and students to teach all kinds of different lessons. Mm-hmm. And um, what we really want to do with that is is give power to the teachers to teach the lessons that they want to teach using Minecraft. We sort of think, it, you know, you refer to your, your daughter as a, your, your kid as an artist, and we really think of the teachers as like, we want to use it, have it as a canvas. They can kind of use it to teach whatever lessons they want to, whether it's something that's in STEM or something that's in geography or social studies or, or literature. And we have teachers using it across all of those different subject areas. Mm-hmm. So what we do is provide sort of a platform or the support that the teachers need to do that. And so some of the work that I've done in the past has involved like interviewing teachers to find out more about how they're planning on using Minecraft in the classrooms. What lessons do they want to teach? What kinds of things do they want to do with Minecraft that they don't know how to do yet or that they don't feel like they have the feature set to do yet so that we can actually go and think about developing those features and perform providing that support for them, um, helping teachers learn how to play Minecraft because a lot of teachers come in and they're not gamers, right? So it's like, how do we teach them enough of playing Minecraft so that they can actually get into the world with their students and play it in the classroom? And I've actually gotten the opportunity to go and observe um, teachers and, and other educators using it in their classrooms, in community groups, with youth groups, after school classes, um, and it's it's really awesome to see. I mean, it's already awesome to watch kids play Minecraft in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something really special about going into classrooms or an after school club and watching kids learning through Minecraft, sometimes without realizing that they're actually learning things <laughs> um, and like exploring new worlds or like, you know, I've, I've heard some teachers set up like whole economic systems where they teach kids about taxes and economies through Minecraft. Um, a lot of teachers are using Redstone to teach kids about electricity and how that yeah. works. Um, they're building roller coasters to teach physics. So there's just so many different things and so much creativity that I see teachers doing. It's super, super awesome to see all that. Yeah. And I I think you're absolutely right. It's like, I think that for me um, as a homeschooling parent, Mm -hmm. knowing how to play Minecraft gives me um, extra insight into how to best teach with Minecraft, mm-hmm. right? Because I know what Minecraft can and can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I wish, cause in, in my previous life, um, <laughs> in my previous life, I was an elementary school teacher. Mm-hmm. That was way back in the dark ages. Um, <laughs> and I wish that, you know, Minecraft had been around as, you know, as a tool for me as an elementary school teacher, it would have made things, it would have made certain things a whole lot easier. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, as it was, it, w- it wasn't until, you know, I, I went back to grad school and I was teaching 
um, at the university that I was able to start bringing games into the classroom. Because like I said, this was back in the dark ages. Back then it was it was still text-based moves and mugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, you know, being able to use that, I mean, I could see even then that uh, it would have been great to be able to use certain kinds of tools like that in the classroom mm-hmm. as an elementary school teacher. Um, and but that was because, you know, I was a gamer. I always, you know, I had been a gamer since I was seven. Um, and that was back when like, right before like Moses parted the Red Sea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm I'm super excited. Um, I have not, I have to admit, I haven't played around with the uh, education edition of Minecraft, even though I see now that you can like turn it on as a cheat um, <laughs> in, uh, in, in the console version of mm-hmm. Minecraft. Yeah, the one of the goals now is to add a lot of the functionality that's in the education version into the mm-hmm. what we call the vanilla game or the actual game that you can play on the console. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, uh, if you do turn it on, you'll see some of those features that you can play around with. One of my favorites is there's a chemistry world uh, template that you can access in there that teaches kids the basics of chemistry. So elements and compounds and that kind of stuff. And the kids love like doing science experiments and blowing stuff up and (laughs) making pigs fly with helium balloons and all kinds of other experiments that you can do in there. And we've heard a lot of feedback from science teachers. It's like, this is a great safe way for my kids to blow stuff up without doing it. (laughs) I mean, yeah, actually. I think that's super useful. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and it also saves them a lot of resources, too, because, I mean, yeah. science kits, chemistry kits, that kind of stuff is expensive for schools to procure. But if the kids can play around and do the same thing in Minecraft without having all that equipment, like it's a nice, safe, experimental and cheap way for them to do all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get a little frustrated because my uh, children are back in public school. Um, I can't sustain homeschooling. I don't know how Sam does it. Uh, <laughs> Lack of sleep. <laughs> I'm used to that. Um and they have so much screen time and I'm not like down on screen time. Right. I mean, obviously, but they're using like iPads all day long. And on the one hand, I get super frustrated because I want them doing something other than looking at an iPad all day. But on the other hand, this idea of resources and what can be saved and what can be offered to students in, I mean, we live in a relatively low income neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Our schools for them would not have a lot of resources other than now what they can access digitally. And in, it, it opens up a lot of worlds for them. So mm-hmm. things like Minecraft and, and apps and, and all the access to research and knowledge and education is really great. Um, just I think sometimes requires a little forethought and balance. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and and like you said, it requires forethought and balance, and it also helps a lot if teachers know what games and apps can and yes. can't do, rather than having it thrown at them as a resource. We like, hey, use this. Yeah, right. And they don't know, you know, they don't know everything that's available to. And I think that happens a lot in public schools, right? Yeah. Because like I said, I taught in the Detroit public school system um, way back in the day. And after I went back to grad school and I wasn't, and and I had left, and I had left um, the public school system, I have an aunt who is super close in age to me because my mother is the youngest of seven kids. So her youngest sister and I were less than 10 years apart. Um, but she went into the public school t- system as a teacher. And um, 
that was the year that they gave all the public school teachers in Detroit um, laptop computers and opened up labs. And they said, so figure out how to use this, mm -hmm. right? Because this is what you need to be doing, right? No resources, no extra money for um, training, no extra money for training time, um, none of that. Just here, take this laptop, take it home and figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and they completely went to waste. Yeah. Um, because no one had any idea of how to do it, how to use it. Right. Um, and so I, I talked to her and she was like, you do this. So can you tell me what I need to be doing with this? So, I mean, she and I would have conversations because she had four sons, um, that I played games with regularly. Um, and they, they still blame me. They, they try to blame me for their gaming habits. And they were like, you brought us, you bought us our first console. That was not my fault. Um, but, uh, so she was like, you, you, you do this with my kids. Tell me how I can do this with somebody else's kids. Um, but she one sought out resources from someone who was close by and who could come over on weekends and, and in the evenings and help her out. But for the for the most part, I mean, they when they went in and and finally canceled the program, they found out that for some of the teachers, the, the computers had never even been taken out of the packaging. Mm -hmm. wow. Nobody knew how to because it was you yeah. know fairly early on in that whole uh, life cycle of um, like home computers being uh, accessible to. A, a larger group of folks. So these folks, some of them didn't have computers at home. So they didn't know how to use computers for more than, you know, sending, sending simple emails, maybe typing some letters, filling out forms. And that was it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so to give them this and say, okay, teach with it was seriously problematic. Yeah. And I think we're, we're, we're cause, we, cause like Alicia says, I mean, even outside of even outside of living where where we live, yeah. even outside of living um, in a, a, an area that has a fair kind of low socioeconomic base, mm -hmm. we're in a real rural area. So yeah. even so, even folks who are making more money because they're working in some of the factories or they're working white collar jobs or they're working at the university or whatever, a lot of these folks have not had a whole lot of access to technology uh, because they didn't grow up with it, right? Because it, it wasn't it wasn't as prevalent in the school systems here beforehand. Because you know it's a farming community. I mean. Like I said, to what I've I've been here less than twenty years, and where I live now, I tell Pete, I tell Pete this all the time. I'm like, yeah, when I moved here, all of this was cornfields and dirt roads. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're talking about a, a real shift in the ways that people think about education, and it's reflected not only in the teachers and the teachers' mentality themselves, but also in teacher education around here. Mm -hmm. So that's my, we need to do better for teachers. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, that's what gaming for everyone is. That's what, uh, these are the things that you do. Okay. So I have to ask this question and I try to figure out a way to ask this question 
um, without without it sounding gatekeepery, because I don't think it's I don't want to be gatekeepery at all. Because mm-hmm. I, but I'm re- I'm always really interested in how folks came to gaming, mm-hmm. like uh, you know as a person, um, how'd you come to gaming, right? What what um, why video games? As a as a kid, as a human, as a gamer, as an adult, like that that might be it. My mother was in her seventies when she started gaming, so. Jerome, do you want to go ahead? Sure. Uh, so I think, um, yes, with the age I am, I think I, um, it's the first gaming system I had in my house. I have no idea how it got there, but it was a, a Sears branded Pong machine that you could plug into your TV. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I played a fair amount of that, but I think the kind of the bigger thing for me was um, was uh, arcades mm-hmm. and uh, playing games there. I remember my aunt had a um, uh, worked at an arcade for a short amount of time when I was a kid, and I thought that was the coolest job any adult could possibly have <laughs> is getting to hang out at an arcade all day. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's less fun if it's your job. I think so, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> one of the sad truths of growing up and looking back. <laughs> um, but yeah, from there, I think uh, some of it was actually the, um, was using computers and schools. Uh, so I remember playing uh, educational games, well, semi-educational games, like Lemonade Stand and... <laughs> things like that <laughs> back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, eventually, I think, uh, yeah, quite a bit later, um, I started getting, like, game systems, like the like the NES. And I also had an Atari 800, which was an Atari computer. Uh, so it had a keyboard that you could type on. And I remember... Um, we had we got a subscription to Family and Home Computing Magazine, which had pages and pages of programs in it that you could type into your computer and run. And uh, so, yes, that was some of my early gaming as well. See, yeah, we are. Cl- I'm older than you. I know this, but we're closer in age. So I remember. I remember all the Sears branded. Um, like technology back in the day, because I know this sounds real weird to folks who don't know, but yeah, Sears was the place to go to get your like your consoles, to get your computers, right? Those first laptops that I swear to God were this thick and this big and weighed like 40 pounds <laughs> and they had the monochromatic flip-up screens. Yeah, see, I had I had one of those. Um, but yeah, all, all of those came from, as my grandmother used to say, Sears Roebuck. Um, <laughs> yes. So when you said Sears, I was like, yes, Sears. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, for for me it was um I didn't realize this until I was an adult looking back, but my whole family is nerds. Like we just all the family is <laughs> like into like comics and anime and all that kind of stuff. So um, growing up, my, my, I have older cousins. I'm actually on the younger end of, and I have a lot of cousins. I've got like over 20 of my mom's that and more of my dad's. But growing up, my cousins had um, 
game systems. And so when we would go over their house, I would, that's how I started playing. So I've been playing longer than I actually have memory. Like from the time I was able to hold a controller in my hand, I was playing games with my cousins and losing games to my cousins. Um, so we grew up, I grew up playing a lot of fighting games actually. And we would play them tournament style and like my aunt's basement just passed the sticks around whoever lost and that kind of thing. Um, lots of Street Fighter and Tekken, Mortal Kombat, that kind of stuff. And then um, my family finally got, I don't remember if we actually owned an NES or if I just played it with my at my cousin's place. But the first system I actually remember owning was a Sega Genesis. Um, my dad would get them used from like the alt, like used computers and technology stores. Yeah. Um, and then we would rent the games at Blockbuster. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so we actually didn't own very many games but we would go rent a bunch of them at blockbuster and i remember on sundays we would all you know as a family my dad would take me my brother and my sister we each got to choose a game uh, so i played a lot of that growing up and then we always got a new system but always like used because back then i guess it i don't know whether they were just a lot cheaper used. i remember that my dad getting the genesis for like 10 bucks back then um and it wasn't very old at the time um that's not the case now but <laughs> <laughs> And so I kind of just grew up playing with each new generation. My, my, you know, one of my parents would go and get like a used system or find one of the cheap somehow. We had a Dreamcast. I remember so underrated. Uh, we had an N64 and I remember playing GoldenEye with my brother and sister. Um, and then when I got old enough to get them on my own, I just, I got, I started getting my own system. So I remember in college playing Smash Bros with, and that's how I made my friends in college, like playing Melee at night, you know, all hours of the night and day. In grad school, I had a Wii and when I wasn't doing things that I should have been doing, like writing my dissertation, I was playing Wii <laughs> I never do that. <laughs> never um, do I play games when I should be writing my dissertation. <laughs> We all did. Don't yes. even try it. <laughs> yeah, there are so many times that I was like, uh, it's like 5 a.m. and I should be doing sleep sleeping or something else, but I am still up playing Skyward Sword or something. Um, and so, yeah, I just kind of tracked and played played through then. So I've just been playing a, a long time and with family members, and it was always kind of a normal thing. So when I actually got into the gaming industry here, all of my cousins were like so excited that I was going to work for Xbox and they, we always talk about my job whenever I go home for the holidays and visit them and everything because, uh, and then we play, like they play Madden or we play FIFA as a group. Um, so we're still all gaming in our adulthood of school. Oh, it's quite fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always interesting to, um, to go back and look at, and, and that's why I asked, right? Because I, I, I know it, it can, it's, it's often used as a gatekeeping device. Mm-hmm. Like, well, how long have you been gaming? Or what's your favorite game, right? Those questions that, you know, like, why are you asking me that? Uh, <laughs> but those, those kinds of questions. But it's always interesting to see, like, what people's kind of, uh, well, gaming history is. Um, and and how they kind of get to to where they are based on you know what kind of games they play or how they came to games or why games were important to them, right? Because I'm I, like I said I'm I'm super old. You were like I had a I remember having a controller and I was like oh controller I was like, in college when controllers came on. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that was a long time. No, I, I don't think I was that old. Um, well, no, almost, you, uh, I know how you are. You're not that old. <laughs> <laughs> I 
If you want a distance between a gamepad and a controller. This is true, right? The little the little game pads, they were different from actual Yeah, I just took that shit to a whole new level. Yeah, I was I was probably <laughs> 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 I might have been in grad school by the time controllers, like actual for real controllers. Like the, the big old like dreamcast brick that you um, had to like Oh yeah, I was definitely in grad school. I, in grad school. <laughs> yeah. I just I, for me the big thing of controllers that I remember is like the the shift from like controllers that were clearly not actually made for anybody's hands. Oh my god. <laughs> Especially not for women's hands. Definitely not for women's well, yes, hands. For sure, that too. But I'm even thinking just about like the old NES controller and how the sides were all squared off and they would dig into <laughs> yes, the they would. In your finger. <laughs> even as a kid, I was like, whose hands are these for? <laughs> Yeah, the, the the first like the big the big beastly controllers though like the Dreamcast and then the oh, first yeah. Xbox. I thought for a long time that I was really bad at gaming. Yep. And I would get my feelings hurt when I'd be like at a party or something and like trying to play Halo with some dudes and I would be like oh, I should be better at this. <laughs> and then like smaller controllers came out and I was like oh you guys are such assholes. <laughs> you could have told me. Yeah. I remember those because, you know, I, I like I said, I remember like the, the first Dreamcast. The Dreamcast, I still will argue, y'all fight me. Uh, best, the best console ever made. It was, it was a great console, but it had a terrible the little, controller. The, the little it's VMU fun. unit that you plugged into the, that you could plug into the controller and, and like take out and play little games. That was like, that, that was like the DS. A handheld device, uh, right. other handheld games, right? And a like Game Boy Mini all in one. Look, uh, no one is going to argue that the Dreamcast was awesome, but that controller was made for robots, <laughs> male robots. And it's I have very, to, oh, sorry, Jerome, go uh, ahead. It's very angular hands. <laughs> no, those controllers were horrible. It's like they didn't want anybody to play for more than 10 minutes. They were like, this is how we control screen time. <clears throat> oh. Oh. That's even a really good idea, maybe. Even the PlayStation. The PlayStation, I have to say, the PlayStation controller, and then that's still a super uncomfortable controller for me. Um, the PlayStation controller playing Final Fantasy VII gave me my first repetitive stress injury. <laughs> I remember the weekend. I remember the weekend because I, I was in grad school. Like I said, I'm old. I was in grad school, and I sat down. I'm like, I'm going to play this game all weekend. And I went to the store and I bought like, I bought like a case Mountain of beer Dew and like some gummy worms. I, I was like, I bought like a case of beer. I bought Mountain Dew. I bought, no, not gummy worms. Um, Twizzlers. Twizzlers mm -hmm. was my jam. Mm -hmm. Right. Twizzlers was my jam. Some chips. And I was like, and I remember I was sitting in my living room. I turned my baseball cap on backwards. I sat down on the couch. I was like, don't nobody talk to me till Monday. Um, and my wrists were so jacked up by the time that weekend was over. The controller that really hurt me that I would like have to contort, like, okay, so Dreamcast was bad. The first Xbox was bad. But the one that was like surprisingly bad was the N64. Yeah. And you'd have to like slither into that thing and like find a way to fit all your fingers. And like you have to, it would, you'd have a different grip based on the game and like how the controller was set up. 
I hated that thing. I know a lot of people loved it. I hated that thing. Yeah, that I, one wasn't so bad. The GameCube was horrible. The GameCube was the worst one. GameCube was bad. Those Y X buttons on the top, especially in Melee, because you hit them a lot. Mm-hmm. So I remember like trying to curve my finger to hit like three buttons at the same time. <laughs> yeah. That was. Like, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, and because we've been talking talking about like gaming is for everyone and like things like things like accessibility right now talking about my first um my first rsi right mm-hmm. so yeah right um full disclosure i've been playing i've been playing video games for over 40 years so my wrists and my fingers and my arms are just totally jacked up uh, <laughs> so but like the ways the things that Microsoft is doing with um, accessible controllers is amazing, right? From um, the Elite controller that I have a love-hate relationship with, but I'm not going to bring that up. Um, (laughs) The Elite controller that I have a love-hate relationship with and that new accessible gamepad that you guys came out with this year, I think that is phenomenal because it's that kind of stuff that allows me as a gamer to keep playing, but it also allows me to keep doing my job that lets me feed my family, <laughs> right? Because I, I often think about it, like when I'm playing and I'm like, oh God, my like my, my fingers have all frozen in place or, you know, I'm just in a lot of pain right now or what, or what have you. I'm like, but at the same time, it's like, that is my job. <laughs> I mean, so when we start thinking about that, I think that like, the ways that folks are going in terms of thinking about access, in terms of thinking about making games accessible to um, to folks, kind of across the board. If it's even as if it's because you know, like me, they they've done they've done damage to themselves, right? Or that's just the way they were born, or they were injured in some other way. I think is absolutely phenomenal. Um, so. Uh, in terms of like that, that aspect of gaming is for everyone. Because um, kind of, because that I think that's interesting. Um, I don't know. Is there? I was see. I was like, I was like, I know folks can't say stuff because NDA or because they don't know. But I'm just, I'm interested in what other kinds of new things are out there or what kinds of things you got, you guys are thinking about in that arena. So, um, so the research team that we're on, we don't work on hardware directly, but we have, there are partner research teams that do. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and there's been a big push, um, you think, uh, obviously on the hardware side with the Xbox adaptive controller and it has some pretty amazing flexibility because uh, it has kind of all those inputs that use the standard jack that uh, different um, different uh, accessibility accessories use and then also has um, USB ports for uh, variant ways of doing thumbsticks and it just opens up, opens up so much. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for it to to get out in the world and see see what people start start using it for but yeah there's also just a a big push in general uh on the accessibility side so uh at the um at the game developers conference uh there is a um 
an event, uh, an accessibility uh, event called GA Conf, Game Accessibility Conference, uh, that uh, that kind of brings together people from different companies, including uh, Xbox and Microsoft, and just thinking about and trying to to move the industry forward and uh, make make all games as accessible as possible to everyone. So I think, yeah, without being able to say too much, it's something that we're definitely thinking about and working on kind of across all, both the game franchises like Minecraft that we work on, but then, uh, yeah, the uh, our partners kind of work on things across Xbox, including Mixer and, um, including uh xbox live and just across everything and and certainly the the console has integrated um integrated a lot of functionality like uh screen reading and things like that to be able to open things up but i think um in general i think it's fair to say that that gaming has been behind other software industries in terms of making things accessible. So there's obviously a lot of ground to make up and a lot to do, but there's a lot of people with awesome ideas who are very invested um, moving things forward. I think that's where user research must come in at really handy. I'm sorry, go ahead. I mean, no, you you took the word. That's exactly what I was gonna say. (laughs) One of the things that's really cool to me as a user researcher is the the very the growth mindset that everybody has around this and how much they really want to listen to um, our players when it comes to making things accessible. So if you read a lot about the adaptive controller and some of the um, articles that have been published about it, you know, they talk very explicitly about all the feedback that they got from people with a variety of different disabilities mm-hmm. and the design of the controller and the design of the packaging, just how you even open up the box and get into it, because that's a short, uh, a short yeah. that a lot of place uh, technologists have had as well. Um, and so that's the part that I love, especially being as a user researcher, that just makes our job so much easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People really want those insights and they want to hear from players about the pain points that they're having and how we can make it better. Yeah. See, uh, cause I know we, we, um, we reached out and started like developing a kind of just kind of a, a relationship with the folks at Able Gamers, um, a couple of years ago. Um, uh, but to see like, to see Microsoft like actually doing this kind of firsthand so that people don't have to go out and try to find kind of third party solutions is absolutely phenomenal because you know I was super excited when the adaptive when the adaptive controller came out to be able to call um, uh, a woman uh, who was a faculty member when I was in grad school because she had contacted me probably about five or six years ago. Um, uh, because she had a, she has a daughter who has who has pretty severe cerebral cerebral palsy, but who loves to play video games, um, but cannot can't use the regular controllers, right? So she was like, "So what do I do?" Because she has too much trouble with the regular controllers and needs too much assistance. And she was getting to the age that she wanted to be able to do it herself. So. I mean, I was I was glad that I could put her in touch with the folks at Able Gamers, but the custom controllers um, from third party from third party sources were still super duper expensive. 
right? Because, you know, they had to be custom made for her daughter, but now to, to look at the adaptive controller. So I was super excited to be able to like email her and be like, Hey, look at this, right? This is, this is exactly what we were looking for like five or six years ago. Uh, and she was super excited uh, because this was something that she could, um, she could purchase for her daughter and let her daughter play games on her own without, again, buying these third-party controllers that we talk about making custom controllers are often kind of twice the price, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right, of the of the adaptive controller. Um, so yeah, that that was super exciting to me. You know, not only as God, I was like, uh, you know, as as you know, as, as my grandmother would say, "Good Lord willing, I won't ever need one to play," but you know. As we start to start to get older and do more damage to our own bodies, you never know what might happen. But to be able to say to other folks who need them right now, hey, look at this. Right. Yeah. And it's something certainly like the kind of our partners who focus on accessibility talk about. Uh, temporary or situational disabilities. And you just even think about kind of very basic things like, hey, I'm an environment where other people are sleeping. I can't have loud audio on. I need I need visual indicators and I need captions. I and need captions. Yes. <laughs> like honestly, like there's nothing. I mean, I'm pretty. I don't know the best way to phrase it. Like I don't have any any visible disabilities or noted disabilities. But there's so many things that could happen that could make games more accessible for me. You know, yeah. and I'm not alone in that. Captions, controllers. Like different controllers, different controller sizes, different button placements, things like the Elite Controller are really great. I really envy yours, but I can't afford one, you know? Yeah. So it, everything that we can do to give people an easier time playing just yeah. helps. Yeah. 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 And I, I've been really excited by kind of the, the kind of Xbox leadership kind of very publicly saying both on the both on the adaptive controller and on a number of other things that they don't want inclusion to be a, a competitive advantage that they they want they want to be sharing with the rest of the industry they want to help the rest of the industry with anything that we're doing so that more players can be included on every platform yeah i think that's phenomenal um, and and as consider this consider this a kind of a user research moment um, on the next version of the elite controller. Can we have custom controllers? Because I want one in colors. <laughs> Just, saying. Just saying. Your your feedback is noted. <laughs> <laughs> I want I want one in colors, and I, and I and I need a new elite controller. So can we can we make that happen? Can we make that happen? Um, like right now? Not 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 make another controller happen, but the custom colors happen so I can order one. Um, I think so. Here's the one question because you guys have been great in answering all these questions and, and chatting with us for so long. But we have one question that we asked everybody, um, and that question is this: Da-da-da. If there was, I know, <laughs> and I, I love this question because people are like, "Oh my god, that's a hard question." Um, so if there was one question that you wish we would have asked that we didn't, what would that be? And you both get to answer this. 
Well, I have a cheat way of answering it because I have something that I would love Melissa to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) So I would love her to talk about the research on online safety that she did that that she presented at the Game Developers Conference this year because I think it's kind of a real foundation for a lot of the ways that the business is thinking about things. And that's the research I was referring to that that showed up in Phil Spencer's talk. Yeah, awesome. I'd love to talk about that. So um, at, at the Game Developers Conference this year, actually um, talked about, so Jerome and I, along with one of our other researchers here, um, gave a talk where we spotlighted some of that research I did some interviews with um, gamers who um, played online multiplayer and had um, had some negative experiences online, often because of an identity that they held. So either their racial identity or their sexual orientation, their gender, their gender expression. And just um, these are two hour interviews that talk to them about the experiences that they had across a variety of different areas. So good ones, bad ones, how they got into gaming, how they normally play multiplayer to tell us a little bit about. Um, um, and uh, so what we were hearing a lot from these gamers is a lot about some of the negative experiences that they did have online when they were playing with others. They talked a lot about really loving to play games and having played games for a really long time and that it was an important part of their identities, but that they had had so many experiences online that they felt like they had to develop this thick skin in order to play online Mm -hmm. because the harassment that they got just happened like all the time. Um, And they almost, almost universally used those words thick skin to describe it. It was eerie how like, you know, commonplace it was for them to say that. And um, voice chat was a really big central focus for that. A lot of times they were like, Oh, I just mute everybody or I don't even use voice chat altogether because of the experiences that I have. And a lot of times they would avoid like entire genres of games. Like they would say, oh, I don't play, you know, shooters or, oh, I don't play, you know, MOBAs or I don't play this specific genre because the people in that genre are just, are, you know, that's toxic or whatever the case might be. But a lot of times they were forming that because of like one game that they had played in that particular genre. So they were like, oh, I played that one game and it wasn't good. So I'm just going to write off that whole genre because they have to protect themselves, right? Gaming was so important to them. Um, and, you know, as a person of color myself, I like identified with some of these uh, findings too, but like gaming was so important to them that the only way that they could continue to play online was to develop that thick skin to avoid those areas that they were playing in. Um, and to create these like boundaries for themselves that like, I'm going to stay in this particular lane, play these games, only turn on the mic when I'm in specific groups um, so that I can continue to play online and have fun with this thing. That's a huge part of my identity. But the, the bright spot in all of this um, is that a lot of them, because they had been playing for so long, they consider themselves to be like community stewards or leaders of the gaming community. And so a lot of times when they would, they would act in protection of other people online. Mm -hmm. So they would say, I don't defend myself when I get attacked online or if I get harassed, but I'll defend someone else because I, they might not have as thick a skin and I want to try to make gaming a safe place for them. Um, Or, you know, I'll try to help people out when they play a game new for the first time because I know what it felt like when I was a newbie and I needed someone to guide me along, so I want to pay it and give it to somebody else. Um, and so it was really great to hear people say, like, even though they had, had some negative experiences themselves, that they wanted to act to protect other people from those negative experiences. And a lot of the findings that we, I mean, 
that we found from this research, we've actually used a lot to think about what are our players' experiences like and how can we improve that experience for people? Again, we want Xbox to be a place that's safe for everyone to have fun. So just hearing these stories from our customers and from our users, our players, and thinking about like how can we transform those experiences from negative ones to positive ones? How can we provide communities where people feel safe and included? Um, how can we provide the tools for people to learn how to play, learn how to navigate online spaces? So we're using a lot of that as, as the foundation to sort of explore different ways to support our users when they play online. That's phenomenal. Um, before I keep talking, we've got a little echo again. <laughs> um, so uh, I have to say, because I, I remember playing online, um, geez, it would have been, with with voice chat, the first time I started playing on uh, Xbox with voice chat, I think it was probably ten. No, it had to be more than ten years ago. Piece ten, so twelve years ago. Mm. Yeah, it had to be more than ten because she's ten. Um, so ten, uh, so eleven, twelve years ago, and um, I know it was it was it was real rough. One, as a woman, and two, as a woman of color, um, to play online, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I remember that there was there was a group of women, um, and it was a group that was started by, back then it was, back then she was known as Trixie 360, right? Krista Charter, she's she's been on our show before, but Trixie 360, she worked, she worked with Xbox back then, um, and it was called Gamer Chicks. So we had Gamer Chicks, and we kind of, built this kind of group together where we would only play together, uh, right? Or not only play together, but we could always say, hey, who wants to play, you know, who wants to play Halo, who wants to play whatever. And then we could get a group of women together and we didn't have to worry about the harassment. Um, and that was, that was kind of a real comfort for us then, right? As gamers, as women, um, as people who, however we identified. Um, so it was a, it was a, a safer community, and I'm not saying this y'all just because y'all are on the show, but I have to say that you know honestly, Microsoft has done uh, has done a decent job of making of like making a kind of longitudinal change so that the space is not the same as it was uh, like back in those days, right? Um, yeah, no, it's, it's not perfect at all. It, you know, it, it's not perfect on any platform. Um, but I have to say that it, I think ha knowing that there are um, certain uh, processes that, processes and policies in place to help protect us in those situations has been a real comfort. Um, and also, and, and I keep saying, I'm, I keep saying this, it's like when we start talking about online safety, um, I, I know that for me as a parent, I have all kinds of things in place uh, in terms of parental controls to keep my daughter safe. Um, but at the same time, I don't think a lot of parents know because yeah. I still run into a whole lot of little kids. Um, Lots. Who are, you know, doing all kinds of things that are completely and totally unsafe. Um, and they don't seem to have any kind of parental controls on one. Um, so, I mean, and, and that's not, you know, that's not the fault of Microsoft. That's the fault of parents, right? But 
So, I mean, I would love to see some kind of way to make parents more aware of these kinds of controls, because a lot of times I'll run into parents and I'll be like, and they're like, well, what's your daughter doing? I'm like, well, I know, I know what she's not doing. And I know she's not, you know, I know she's not playing Minecraft because after two hours, her Xbox like totally signs her out and she can't play. <laughs> and they're like, how do you do that? And I'm like, how do you not do that? Right. And the same thing with her switch. Right. I know that, you know, at, at, after a certain point, her switch is totally going to sign her out and she can't do anything but look at the pretty picture on the front screen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, to you know, I think that there there needs to be more in the same way that we talked about, like teacher education and making teachers more aware. There needs to be some work done to make parents more aware of how to use those those kinds of uh, those kinds of. Uh, fail safes, for lack of a better word, that are already in place to, to help protect kids. Because I'm on I'm on the interwebs all the time telling small children who are like I'm seven, and I'm like, baby, <laughs> don't tell people, right? It's like my I'm seven. My name is Josh, and I live in Idaho. You don't you didn't tell me too much, right? <laughs> so these kinds of things, right? That that we need to make parents aware of because I don't think parents really are aware of the fact that one, their kids have the kind of access to other people on the internet that they do. And two, that they put all their personal business in the street. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, that's, that's totally, you know, just, you know, me as a, me as a parent and, and being totally and completely overprotective of children for a number of reasons, um, you know, kind of thinking out loud, but I think, you know, the, the stuff that you're doing with online safety sounds absolutely fantastic. Um, and I can't wait to see, I can't wait, can't wait to see more of it. How's that? Um, <laughs> is, is, is my long winded way of saying that. But so Jerome, you had a cheat question. Um, <laughs> It's like here, here's how I here's how I pass the here's how I pass the buck. What about you, Melissa? If you had a question that we should have asked but we didn't, what would it be? So I did I did come up with one, but since I had a cheat, I'm gonna actually ask it to Jerome. <laughs> Fair enough. Which is, what's your favorite part of the job? Ooh. <laughs> huh, that That's an interesting one. There are so many, so many things I really like about the job. Um, I think, I mean, it happens in a variety of ways, but I think the the best part of the job is kind of is working with our partners and decision makers and people building games and features, and them getting that aha moment when they really when they really see or really understand kind of what it's like for players. Um, I think, I mean, just like even from Melissa's research, I think like one thing that I've seen when she's presented a real aha moment for people is talking about thick skin and talking about that's why people don't report bad things happening to them because then they if they did, they would have to admit that something bad happened to them. And that's mm -hmm. just mind blowing to some people because that's just not not a personal experience that they've had. And it's 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 amazing and and kind of one of the things that makes our kind of our job 
most invaluable is being able to open people's eyes in those way in those ways. Okay, so now now I got to know, Melissa, what's your favorite part of the job? <laughs> so for me, those those moments with the teams are definitely great. I love those. Um, to see the 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 understanding fly, but for me, like especially with Minecraft, we do um, testing with people of all ages, but there's lots of kids that we do testing with. And having the kids come into the usability labs and telling them that they're going to play Minecraft and just seeing their eyes light up when I tell them that they're going to play new Minecraft that no one has ever played before. And their reactions when they get to actually play the game and how excited they are to just tell me like all the ideas that they have to put in Minecraft and can we put this or program that and like you know, we ha- when we ask the, the kids to talk out loud, a lot of times I use the example of a YouTube video to give them an example of what they're supposed to do. I say, oh, mm-hmm. if you could do it like you were hosting your own Minecraft YouTube video. And they get so excited by that. <laughs> After they wanted the YouTube start. That's my favorite part of the job is just seeing like the the joy that people have. And, and they're, for me, it's it's like they're doing me a favor by helping and giving me feedback. Or for them, they're just, they just love the opportunity to come in, play some new Minecraft that maybe no one has ever seen before and give us some feedback to help make one of their favorite games better. That's really awesome. I could totally see that. That would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, thanks. No, let me take that back. Back up. Y'all, thanks. Um, so much for uh, coming coming on and talking to us about all the fabulous work you're doing, um, putting up with you know putting up with us and our snarkiness. <laughs> um, you are definitely um, you were both a joy to have on. You are welcome to come back and talk to us about Minecraft or games or gaming for everyone or online safety or anything you possibly want to talk to us about at any time. Uh, because it's been a blast. Yeah. Um, and Alicia even behaved herself tonight, y'all. I did my best. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much for coming on. Um, and like I said, you're welcome to come back at any at any time. Um, if you just like sitting around one night, you're like, hey, I got this new thing. And I'd love to go on and talk to Sam and Alicia about this. Um, please feel free. To just like say, hey. Um, <laughs> so I guess that brings us to the end of episode 176. Um, and uh, until uh, we come up with episode 177, we're getting closer and closer to 200 all the time. Maybe by 2021, we'll get to, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> soon we'll get to episode 200. Um, I guess we'd like to say, Thanks for thanks for hanging out. Thanks for chatting, and um, as always, folks, you know the, you know the drill. Game on.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 